It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Bill Hemmer. This is Hemmer Time. With me today, Arnon Mishkin, director of Fox News Decision Team. He's got a big job. Darren Shaw, professor of political science, University of Texas, Austin, one of two Fox News pollsters. And gentlemen, welcome to our conversation. Nice to be here. Excellent to be here. In the interest of geography, um, to both of you, I think to do your job well, you have to stay paranoid about what could go wrong or what hopefully will go right. So what concerns you today about getting it right? Uh, 2016, I think, uh, you know, we, uh, we tend to have a recency bias. Um, and our most recent presidential election uh, was incredibly humbling to pollsters. And as you know, Bill and, and Arne and I, we've had this conversation before, but th- there's a little bit of a exaggeration of the extent to which the polls were off in 2016. The national polls, as we all know, were, were actually pretty accurate. You know, the RCP average had Clinton up by about three and a half points. She wins the popular vote by, um, you know, two, two and a half points, I think, you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. But the statewide polls had some problems. Um, from a pollster perspective, Bill, the, the, the main issue was that there weren't enough of them in places where we really needed them, you know, where we needed a lot of data, states like Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Michigan. And the record there was a was off. There was a, you know, a, a an overstatement of Hillary's vote, an understatement, actually more to the point, an understatement, I think, of, of Donald Trump's vote, a point that Arnon's made, you know, many times about, you know, Clinton never, Clinton got basically what she polled, but Trump got more than he polled. So, yeah, we're paranoid about that. And then we're paranoid, Bill, about the underlying potential that's suggested by that. That is to say, is there a shy Trump vote? Is, is there some reason to believe that uh, Republican-leaning partisans out there are just not taking these polls or they're, they're reticent about expressing support for Trump? And, you know, we can go into it. We've got a number of things that we're looking at to, to ascertain whether that's going on in 2020. Okay. Arnon, same question. What concerns you? about getting it right? I, I, I think it's the exact same question, but I take a slightly different take on it, which is, to me, the lesson of 2016 is focus on those undecideds, figure out what they're going to do, and understand the risks if they go one way or the other. And right now, if you look at the polling, the national average has Biden around 50, uh, Trump around 42, eight points undecided. Sometimes it's 10 points undecided, and Biden is has a slightly larger lead. If Trump wins the bulk of the undecideds, which is what happened in 2016, we have a real uh, hand-to-hand combat in the Electoral College. If the undecideds go swing the other way, then you have a much greater sort of chance of a very solid Biden win. Um, And so what keeps me up at night is which way are they going to go? And are we prepared for either approach from a decision team perspective and from an election night perspective to cover that story. Mm. Um, I think we are, but I think that's what keeps me up at night is making sure we get as quickly as possible to an understanding of what that story looks like. Okay. A few factors I'm going to throw on the table in a moment here, but as I'm speaking to you as of Thursday afternoon on the 15th of October, so when our listeners get access to this discussion, they have a, a sense of where we're coming from on as of this hour. 
as of this hour, you have 15 million people who have voted already. It's extraordinary, which is 25% of the total advance vote from 2016. Um, I, I, I point that out because we're going to fly by those numbers from, from four years ago. Before I go into the whole COVID concerns and early in-person votes and absentee voting, Darren, you mentioned the polling did not detect in, you said specifically, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, the Trump vote. How far off was the polling in 2016 in those three states, as you recall? Yeah, it, the, the biggest miss was in Wisconsin where I believe the uh, the RCP average had uh, Clinton up by, I want to say five points or so. I'm, I'm probably off a point or two, but it was a, it was a fairly significant lead. It was uh, least off in Pennsylvania. And it's, it's two important different stories, Bill. In, in Wisconsin, people just sort of thought that it's an upper Midwest state, hasn't gone Republican since 1988. Uh, the Democrats ahead in the national polls. If I'm a polling organization or news organization, that's not where the story is. So I'm not investing money in polling there. And as, as a result, there weren't that many polls upon which that average was based, which should have made us even more cautious about interpreting that five-point lead. In Pennsylvania, it was something like a three-point lead. And honestly, we fell in love with the consistency of the data. That is to say, it never showed, you know, there were a couple polls that were a little bit of what we would call outliers, but for the most part, everything showed like, you know, one to six point lead. And, you know, the chances of a candidate who's got a one to six point lead consistently actually losing the race are pretty small. So even though Arnon and I and other people who are supposed to know what probabilities are kept telling people, well, there's a one in three chance Donald Trump wins, even I, I speaking for Arnon, even, <laughs> yeah, even we kind of overstated as we were spouting those probabilities and giving cautions in 2016. I think even we were really surprised when it happened. And honestly, Bill, we shouldn't have been. I mean, are you surprised when Mike Trout gets a hit? Mike Trout's a 333 hitter, right? Are you stunned and stupefied when Mike Trout hits? We shouldn't have been, but I think okay. even we who should know better fell in Let me just ask you this, um, Darren, then I'll get Arnon to weigh in on exactly what you were talking about there. If you went back and you examined the margin of error, the MOE in those states, if you moved the line for both candidates in 2016, would those polling would, would that polling have been correct in retrospect? No, I don't think so. And that's the thing that, that to your point, Bill, requires us to be attentive. In, in other words, let, let, me, let me put it this way. If you put a margin of error on any individual poll, then you would have probably said, well, this is, this is an MOE situation. And even though Hillary's up two to three points, uh, it, it's really not something that we can say is beyond statistical noise, right? But, but if you show 10 straight polls that have Hillary ahead by one point, the combined probability that she's actually losing drops to very, very low numbers. That's why places like 538 and the New York Times had these unbelievably high probabilities that Clinton was going to win some of these states. It was it was the consistency of the data rather than the margin. So you're, you're right, Bill, reading any one of those polls, you should have, I think any one of those individual polls can rightfully claim we weren't that far off. Collectively, there was something wrong, right? There's no way all of the Pennsylvania polls should have showed her winning when in fact, you know, it was tied. Now, okay. I, I, the little hedge is things change and there wasn't much polling done in the last week. So it's it's reasonable for them not only to argue we were within margin of error, but we did a poll two weeks out and, and things actually changed. That That is an important point. Okay. Now, so much of this is history. And I, I think it's important, especially for you data guys and your number guy. I, I get it. But now you're dealing yeah. with an entirely different set of circumstances on the playing field. Uh, Arnon, you have absentee voting. 
early in-person voting that's going through the roof. You've got COVID concerns. Who's going to show up? Who trusts it? Who doesn't trust it? How does all of that complicate your call in these COVID times? Oh, it complicates a great deal, both from a polling perspective as well as from a decision team analytics perspective on election night. In terms of the polling, one of the reasons we redesigned the way Fox News and now Fox News and the AP and others do our version of the exit poll, which is our version of a a voter x-ray, is we redesigned it after 2016 because we were anticipating growth in the mail-in. We did not anticipate the kind of growth that we're seeing this year because of uh, the COVID concerns and the like, but we have a tool now that is actually optimal for measuring how people are voting in an election where over 60% of the people are not going to be exiting polling places on election day. Um, 60% of the people will have voted early or voted by mail. And um, our tool is going to be able to give us a very clear understanding of what that is. Um, The second thing that we have, we've had to redesign our analytic tools on election night. And some of this is inside baseball, but some of it is important given what's going on right now, which is for the first time, there is there's always been a slight sort of tendency that Republicans in many states voted were the ones who voted early and Democrats tended to be more voted on election day. Some states, the, the reverse was true, but it was small differences. What we're seeing in all the polling, the polling that Darren does for Fox News and the polling that um, others are doing um, is a huge difference that basically it is an article of faith for Democrats that they need to vote early or they need to be vote by mail. And it's an article of faith for Republicans that they ought to be voting on election day. Um, and so what you see is huge swings between the kind of voter who sh- is going to be voting by mail and the kind of voter who's going to be voting on Tuesday. And, and that makes it much more difficult to design models. Um, and we've had to redesign our models to take that into account and to take that in, in, into account that basically if you're looking at mail-in vote exclusively, then you just have to assume that what you're looking at skews a little more Biden than the, the final tally is going to be. And similarly, if you're looking at election day vote, you have to assume that that vote is going to skew more Trump than the actual final number is going to be. And that we have to take that into account. This is complicated stuff. I'm trying to move it along here a little bit. I, I understand entirely the complications that you're up against. But by the way, in a moment here, I want you both to answer whether or not Biden truly has a lead in all the polling that's coming in. And in a moment here, I'm going to get you both to pick a state or a part of the country or a region or a county that you're most interested in. Okay, so Darren, um, you understand the complications that Arnon is trying to describe to us. How do you lay that out in trying to determine which direction the electorate is headed into the 3rd of November? Well, maybe the easiest way to do it, Bill, is to think about it from your perspective, right? The, the, the talent and the, the reporters and journalists who are going to doing this on election night. So you're going to be there in front of your board and you're going to be in Pennsylvania and you're going to say, you know, Basically, 100% of precincts have reported, and let's just hypothetically, we're showing Donald Trump up by two points in Pennsylvania. Stunning result. The problem from your perspective, communicating this to your viewers, and from our perspective as a decision team, is that we know, or at least we have a sense of the proportion of the vote that's still yet to be tabulated. So let's say we estimate, based on all of our polling data, that 25% of the vote is mail-in. Well, then, behind the scenes, and we're communicating this with you in real time, 
okay, he's up two points, but 25% is outstanding. How do we think that's going to come in? Well, based on our poll, we're going to have an estimate of that. But estimating that precisely, what percent is outstanding and how is Trump and Biden doing in that ending vote is tricky. If we're wrong at either level, how much is out there and what the distribution is, it's going to affect our result. Now, we have this modeled and baked in, but it's not only tricky, but then we have to communicate with you guys so that you can tell the viewers, right? They're, they're going to be you know, Republicans and Democrats out there who are saying like, well, wait, 100 percent of the precincts have reported. Well, yes, except that doesn't count this outstanding vote. In fact, we've been working with lots of people at Fox about moving away from percent of precincts reporting and moving towards percent of expected vote so that viewers aren't misled on election night. Right. Um, unintentionally, obviously. But, you know, the way the way we've been doing things isn't going to work for the reasons Arnon and I have been laying out. Mm -hmm. Darren Shaw, Arnon Michigan. Our conversation continues in just a moment. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. Back here on Hammer Time with Darren Shaw and Arnon Michigan. Arnon's the director of Fox News Decision Team, and Darren Shaw is one of our two Fox News pollsters. And gentlemen, thank you again for your time today. We're recording this as of Thursday afternoon, the 15th of October. The reason I point that time out, gentlemen, is because you know we're living hour by hour, it seems, with the news events these days. Uh, Arnon, has your job gotten easier or more difficult in 2020? I think in 2020, it's vastly more difficult because you're looking at very different pools of vote and that these different pools of vote have different skews to them. Again, the mail-in vote that's coming in that is probably skewed more Democratic than the actual vote is going to be and the election day vote that's going to be skewed more Republican than the actual vote's going to be. Uh, that makes things more difficult. The second thing that makes it more difficult is you have a very, very confusing situation um, and, you know, a, a the dynamic situation. And, you know, particularly because, you know, Donald Trump's gift, which is the ability to command enormous attention, suggests that there is a possibility between now when we're recording this and election day, that things could shift very dramatically. Um, and that attitudes could shift very dramatically, which is kind of what happened in 2016. But it's kind of Trump's genius. It's his ability to command the kind of attention he's able to command and therefore his ability potentially 
to pivot in some way that changes people's views uh, of him. Hmm. And, and that's going to be particularly clear or particularly interesting when you think about these undecideds, because although, you know, there's some polls that say the undecideds are swinging towards Biden, I look at it and think they're not there yet. And so, and that means, that means to me that these are people who could easily be thinking, Mr. President, give us a reason to vote for you. And so things could, could, could shift in a way that changes the dynamic on election night. Mm. I have a few more moments, have a few more questions. Darren, who do you believe is leading now as you look at the polling? Is it, is it Joe Biden's to lose at the moment? Uh, yeah, as of this moment, three weeks out, I think he's in a very good position. You know, would I rather be eight to 10 points up as opposed to eight to 10 points down? Sure. Would I rather be having, you know, conversations about Ohio, Georgia, and Texas as toss-up states as opposed to, uh, North, you know, Michigan, uh, Wisconsin, others? Yes. Um, but if we've learned anything, three weeks is eternity in 2020, right? Remember when we were talking about impeachment? Remember when that was an issue? So I second Arnon's point about the potential for change. Mm. Uh, on the undecided voters that Arnon was mentioning, do you... Do you- how many are there? Is this a, a decidedly yeah. undecided it's, it's group of the electorate? Yeah. Uh, normally, uh, normally meaning back in the 90s, in the 80s and 90s, and even in the 2000s, you were talking about 10 to 12 percent in the last two and a half weeks of the election. These days, we're talking about, you know, five to eight percent undecided with a chance of changing their minds, probably a little higher, maybe up to 10 percent. You know, the rule of thumb, Bill, I always talk about is if an incumbent doesn't have 50 percent, he or she is in trouble because we expect undecideds to break against the incumbent. I'm with Arnon on this. I, I actually kind of think the dynamic is slightly reversed in this election. If you haven't already decided against Donald Trump, I think there's a chance that you either sit it out or maybe are looking for a reason to swing back to him. So I, I, I know a lot of your listeners probably kind of know that incumbent rule. And I, I think it's good to reference it because I think, I think it might be inverted in this election. Interesting. Uh, just a few more moments left here. I know Arnon's got to run off. He has a television interview because Darren Arnon is now a media star. Did you know? <laughs> yes, he is. You know, it's amazing. <laughs> I, Bill, every 20 years for a couple of minutes, guys. Come on. <laughs> Arnon, I want Quite you to pick me because Michigan's here. Yeah, I want you to pick a part of the country or a county that off the top of your head you believe is the key to understanding victory on November 3rd. Arnon, go. Uh, I think the two states to look at early in the night are going to be Kentucky and Ohio. Now, we are certain we are almost as certain as we can be that Kentucky is going to vote for President Trump. Um, And as Darren pointed out earlier, Ohio is a bit of a toss up. What I want to look at in Kentucky, which is an early poll closing state and we start getting vote around uh, 7 p.m., I want to see how strong is that Trump vote in this strong red state, um, because that's going to be an indication of the extent to which Trump is able to bring out his base and the extent to which he's able to win over some of those sort of skeptical center right Republicans who, for whatever reason, to me, make up a large part of the undecided population right now. Okay. So that's that's Kentucky. And the second is state is Ohio. And I want to look at the early reporting counties, which tend to be more rural um, and more suburban, and see the extent to which Trump is bringing out his base, but the extent to which also he's how well he's doing with suburban women and how well he's doing with the sort of, again, with the center-right Republicans, who basically were the difference between defeat and the presidency for him in 2016. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's those two things. 
someone from Ohio should be the one at that board pointing it out. Hmm. I would look to Montgomery County, <laughs> Dayton, Ohio. That's a county he flipped. Yeah. From 2016. Okay. All right, Darren, it is your turn. Uh, which state, which county, what would you pick? I'm, I'm going to go with three utterly conventional choices, Florida and Miami-Dade. Uh, you, Bill, you've heard a lot of conversation about uh, Trump overachieving there and Democratic concerns about there. Uh, if Trump does very, very well in Dade relative to previous Republican candidates, Florida maybe moves to him, in which case we've got a horse race. I, I don't see how the president can win re-election without Florida. Pennsylvania, which is the tipping point state, the state that's most likely to either put Joe Biden over the top or Donald Trump over the top. I'm still kind of fascinated with the suburbs. So I like Bucks and Montgomery County in those places. I, I know this is a little passe. We're supposed to be looking at the Pennsylvania T and Trump's performance in the central and western parts of states. Give me the suburbs. And then finally, Arizona and Maricopa. I'm from California. I remember Phoenix, going to Phoenix when I was a kid. It was such a Republican place. It's been purple for a while and it's trending blue. Um, if Biden wins by five to eight points in Maricopa, he's going to win. That probably means McSally is going to lose a seat in the Senate. It's a it's a big deal. So those are the three little county level places I'd say you should take a look at. Thank you, gentlemen. Good luck. Maybe we can revisit this again before November 3rd and after. Arnon Mishkin, Darren Shaw. Gentlemen, good luck come election night. We're going to need it. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'm Bill Hemmer. This is Hemmer Time. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts.